Green light. <laughs> Welcome back to the grinder, folks. Uh, all right, guys. On a serious note, uh, thank you for joining another week, another day. And James has brought one of his butt buddies along, and we're mm. about to jump into this thing. Hey, um, I will. I will uh, take that. I, I was going to say, what is that? Words of affirmation. Yeah. No, that's probably not the right thing to say. Yeah. Hey, before we get into that, I'd like to start off and thank our sponsor, Jocko Fuel. If you're interested in some Jocko Fuel, you can use the promotion code GRIND10, G-R-I-N-D-1-0, for 10% off your purchase. Thank you, Jocko Fuel. And Origin Maine. And Origin Maine. As in keeps me squared away. How you doing this morning, brother? You good? Me? You look good over there. I see you got your flannel on. Yeah. Hey, you know what? The, the flannel style has kind of just grown on me seeing this, how the weather's getting a little bit cooler. And then I see, hey, James Chapman's over there wearing his flannels, and he's doing business. So, obviously, there's got to be something with the flannel and the business doing well. You know, man, Fridays are for uh, – it's flannel Fridays. Yeah, you say that, but I just saw you on, what, Tuesday? And you were wearing the flannel again. Hey, hey. Irrelevant, irrelevant. All right. But you know, when it's crank it day just in the office, I'm kind of staying low key. Yeah. I'm putting on my flannel. Agreed. All right. Let's get this. So look, I got uh I'm very honored today. I mean, honor is probably an understatement. So today we got uh Will Wright joining us. Will and I served together in Afghanistan. Uh even above and beyond that, we were bunk buddies bunk buddies in our little tent. All right. And I will say our corner of the tent was better than anybody else's corner of the tent. All right. I'm just going ahead and telling you right now. So anyways, with, uh, without further delay, Will Wright, how you doing brother? Uh, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm doing great. Um, been up since five thirty with two baby girls. So I am firing on all cylinders. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Will, you're an hour behind us, right? Yeah, I'm in uh, Clarksville, Tennessee, just outside of Fort Campbell, Kentucky. So that's central time for me. Mm. So I guess I could say I've been up since 6.30 for you guys. Uh, it's not too bad. Yeah, yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. So look, we got Will on today. Um, I had the pleasure, like I said, Will and I served in Afghanistan uh, 2009 and 2010. And um, one of the best things about our group in Afghanistan was that we've, we've all tried to stay close we, I mean, we've ha we have a, a Facebook messenger group that's probably been running for a decade now, right? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of content on there that will keep all of us <laughs> a lot out of, of public office. A, <laughs> a lot of content. That's one way to put it. There's probably, yeah. there's, there's thousands of, I mean, like we, you know, we, we chat, we talk, we bullshit all the time. So, and then one of the beautiful things we try to do 
not as much as we should, but we try to come together and spend time with each other. So recently we were down in Key West. Um, Will was telling me about his journey. Had to be on. So, Will, take us back a little bit. So before we went to Afghanistan, you were you were in um, you were in college to be. What were you doing? You were doing. Um, so I was uh, a contracted ROTC cadet. I'd been enlisted for about uh, three years. I contracted um, about two years into my Army career. And I was uh, I was in my junior year of ROTC. I'd, I'd basically finished my junior year. And the 48th Infantry Brigade, uh, one of the greatest brigades in the United States Army out of Georgia. Amen. Uh, we were... De- uh, we were deploying to Afghanistan, and I had a choice to stay and uh, finish my ROTC contract, commission as an officer, and go do great things, or to join a ragtag bunch of warfighters and go to Afghanistan. And I chose to go, you know, play Army for real in Afghanistan with some of the greatest people I've ever met in my life. So um, I went from being a soon-to-be commissioned officer back to being a specialist in the National Guard and uh, grabbed an M4 and headed to Mississippi for pre-MOG training and uh, the rest, man, the rest has just been a wild ride. Yeah. So um, what year did you, because you got out of the Guard, correct? I did. Uh, my time in the Guard ended 2013. Uh, at that point, I'd flown to Afghanistan. I'd mobilized two additional times. Suffered through some injuries, suffered through some some common struggles, I think, for post-9-11 veterans. Um, kind of had to find my way and made the choice in 2013. It was time for me to step away and kind of focus on my, myself and my personal health. Yeah. And it was tough, but it was the right choice. I had, to, I had some growing up to do. Yeah. So currently, now tell us now, you're back in. And currently, what are you doing? So, yeah, I'm back in the Army now. I rejoined September 2019 and actually rejoined the South Carolina National Guard with a great unit out of Monk's Corner, Alpha Company. Uh, One of the best units I've actually ever been in. Um, Really squared away NCOs, great, great team, great leadership. They supported me transitioning to active duty. Uh, they knew that was my intent from the beginning, and they welcomed me into the unit, supported my transition to active duty. I reported on active duty late January 2020, and that was in route to selection for special forces assessment and selection, uh, which I was able to attend in August. Due to corona, there were some delays, and um Got stationed at Fort Campbell, volunteered immediately, went to selection in August, late August, finished mid-September, and then spent the next month learning to walk again and kind (laughs) of picking myself back up. So so real quick on that, have have your ribs healed? Uh, I'm about 75%. I I took the last two weeks off because I'd already started working out again, and uh, they were a little, they were a little timid and, and I'd say tender might be the right word. A little bit of fluctuation where there shouldn't be fluctuation in bones. So I decided <laughs> I probably need to stop lifting heavy things and just uh, take a break. 
So uh, today's Friday, obviously, and I'm going to do what most normal people don't do. I'm going to start working out again on a Friday. So there you go. I'm actually, when I'm done here, I'm going to hit the gym for a short workout and see how I'm doing. So, so one of the things that just amazed me uh, when we were in Florida, you were telling me the story about you going through selection. Um, so go into that about what, what I found so interesting was, you know, you're talking about when y'all were working as individuals. So at first it was more individual based, correct? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're challenged uh, physically and mentally uh, to perform on various events, whether it's rucking or running or, you know, uh, land nav and a lot of this is you know public knowledge you can just kind of google it yeah. um for for confidentiality reasons i'm not allowed to go into specifics um, yeah. but yeah you know you, you do a lot of rucking pretty pretty heavy rucks um neighborhood of 60 to 80 pounds just depending on the event um yeah, you do a lot of rucking a lot of running um a few physical tests you know with a, a set standard a graded standard and uh psychological stuff you have to like mental aptitude test out on certain things and um so it's it's pretty grinding but i I tell people you know really it's a skill level one task that as long as you're physically prepared and everything in the background of your life is stable you should do well on um so yeah that was the intro to the course, first two and a half weeks. And then after that, you go into more of a teamwork type environment. Uh, and then you, you're being assessed on, you know, a few other matrices to see how you work with others, see if iron sharpens iron or if iron turns into a weapon and you try and kill your buddy with it. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when you finished selection, Talk about the condition of your body. Oh, man. So uh, I started selection. Um, so I'm 5'11", usually around 180, 185 pounds. But I, I cut weight to go to selection because my primary concern was being fast and rucking all day. And that, that worked really well for me. So I went to selection at 170 pounds. Um about 10, eight to 10% body fat. So for me, that was pretty solid. And then by the end of selection, I had not actually lost any weight until uh, the last day. And actually come to find out, it wasn't that I hadn't lost weight, is that I was retaining fluid um, from basically when you're rucking that long and that often, your, your body, that rucksack actually prohibits your your veins from removing fluid from tissue so it's pretty common for everybody you know we had swollen hands swollen feet your legs kind of it's called edema so the excess fluid just pulled in your your arms and your legs um so to my knowledge i hadn't lost any weight but uh in reality what was to soon come at, on the last day was uh i wouldn't say my undoing but my maybe an awakening uh I ended up finishing the last day um, by taking a trip to the emergency room, and that trip lasted two and a half days. And uh, basically, by the time I got out of the emergency room, two and a half days later, I'd had 12 bags of fluid. I was on three different antibiotics. I had scarlet fever. Uh, I'd lost 15 pounds. And 
had a broken rib, staph infection across most of my body, and I, I, God, I hope that's it. I can't. Oh, I had a <laughs> rhabdomyolysis. Basically, your body starts to eat muscle in in such a high rate that you can't flush out the toxins that it produces, and you go. It's almost like being a version of sepsis. Um, it can cause heart failure, kidney damage, a lot of a lot of serious issues that. Uh, if without being in an emergency setting, you're not going to be able to overcome. Uh, so basically, I, I went to the brink and then probably went right over the brink to to the point where if I wasn't in in the place to get to a hospital, I would have died. Basically, <laughs> it's wow. a, unreal. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, it was good times. I've had I've had a few CrossFit buddies that have gotten rapto, um, where like the muscle like pulls away and things, and like they just look like they are on the end of their bed, like it's rough. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the, in the period of that two and a half days in the hospital, basically, without you know having those fluids that flushed my system out and uh, pulled all the excess fluids out. I mean, I was this is crude, but I was pissing every 30 minutes. And like when you're, yeah. I had a fever of 103 for two days and didn't want to get out of the bed. Luckily I maintained some dignity in front of the nursing staff and I didn't piss all over myself, but it was not graceful. <laughs> so by the time all that was done, I'd lost 15 pounds in two and a half days. And I looked like a POW. I mean, in all honesty, it was not great. My wife thought I was, yeah, she she was she cried when she saw me. I looked so bad. Um, so, it. But the the silver lining is for the next month and a half, I've been able to eat anything I wanted to because I got to I had to gain back fifteen twenty pounds just to reach my starting weight. So that was nice. So so sexy will is back. Is what you're saying? Oh, sexy will is back. It's bulking season. <laughs> it's bulking season. <laughs> um, does that how much when you're when you when you finish that like that how much um like how much does that just like pull away the veil of like bullshit pride and and all just like the bullshit we focus on in life like how how when you finish how obvious was it of all the things that we worry about that are just pointless man what what it really what it really showed me was yeah, we, we do that, um, but it really puts some things in perspective. Like you, while you're there, you're, you're cut off. There's no calling home, no talking to mama or the babies. Like it, you're, you're in it. Um, yeah, even when we're, we deployed to Afghanistan and a lot of the deployments now, you have WhatsApp and Skype and Wi-Fi internet. And you get done for the day, you go to the gym and, you know, you, you have kind of a normal life. Um, for a solid month, you're, you're cut off and it, it kind of makes you, it makes you evaluate, why am I here? You know, what, what's really important to me? What am I doing? And, you know, I've, I have an eight year old son and two baby girls under the age of two and a, an amazing wife. It makes you think like, man, I am spending a month away from them. I miss them. You know, what, what's really important? And it's kind of a gut check. You know, you've got to, you've got to want it. You've got to be in it every day, all day. 
because I, I tell people your mind will break before your body. If your mind is strong, your body will keep moving. But if your mind and your heart aren't in it, it'll show up. And it did. You know, we had, we had guys quit on the last day of the last phase and just like, hey, I don't want to do this. And they've made it through everything. It's like, I'm out. Um, so for me, it it put a lot of things in perspective. And it honestly, I, I was in a much better place. I'm, I'm 33, you know, so physically I might not be the specimen I thought I was before. Uh, definitely was never, you know, a stud like that. But I'm also not 23. So I, I know there's a balance. But mentally, emotionally, spiritually, I'm in a totally different league than I was as a child. So it reaffirmed for me that I was on the right path in my life and that God had, he had placed me there. He had prepared me for this reason and you know, he had, he had guaranteed success for his glory. So, I mean, for me, that was, it was an affirmation and, and what I really took away from it is there's a lot we think we can't do until you're put in that position and you just keep going. You know, it was, it was, extremely enlightening to see what you could endure physically as well as mentally and just perform at such a high level and just keep going. Um, it was, it was a great experience. So there's no doubt you pushed your, your body to its limit. Do you feel like you also pushed your, your, your mind to its limit as well? Staying focused and, and tough and, and galvanizing that? I do. I think, like I said, for me, it was a, an affirmation of, you know, where I was supposed to be. Um, honestly, short of, I mean, you know, like I said, I literally was at the point if I had, if I had not gone to the hospital, I probably would be dead. Right. So for me, nothing short of God protecting me and making a way for me to finish made that happen. So in, in my life with my faith, that is a confirmation like I'm supposed to be here and it it more solidified my faith and my mental strength than it did test me physically I mean it was it was get me don't get me wrong it was hard physically yeah but what you what I gained from that was a confidence in the path my life is on and my ability mentally to overcome challenges that you know were physically excruciating so um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that was the real takeaway for me is that for the rest of my life, I've got that in my head and heart, like, you know, God's prepared me for something. All I have to do is see it through and he's going to make a way. Well, that now transcends other aspects of my life. You know, it, it freed me to be bolder than I'd ever been before. That's so awesome. I love that. I love that. I mean, that, that, <clears throat> I mean, anybody can take this right now, what you're saying, and you don't have to go through selection. You, you don't have to be special forces. Wherever you're at in your career, your business, your personal life, there, there's a wall somewhere you're trying to get over. And, you know, that's been the crea- the reason for the creation of this podcast since the beginning. I mean, it's what Addison and I have talked about since we did it was getting over those walls. A lot of times we call it wall one, but there's many walls. There's walls that I face today that... <clears throat> You know, I mean, hell, Addison and I just, we, we saw each other Tuesday. We were t- chatting about some stuff, right? Addison, I mean, like we were sitting there talking about walls we're getting over. And, you know, that's always the thing. Like 
are you going to have the persistence and the fortitude to get to the next wall and climb like you did the hundred before it? Are you going to climb the hundred after it, you know, and let that be confirmation to you that you can do it if you keep your mind to it. So that, that, that's, that's right on because if, if you look at what the normal human, and I, I say that as a generalization, but the normal human is, is, is gets caught up in the small things. So when they fail at the first time, they, they're like, Oh, well maybe this is not the route for me. Right. Or, or maybe they get, they get a little knock on the chin and they're like, ah, you know, maybe I actually didn't want this as bad as I thought I did. Yeah. When in, in, in reality, all you really have to do is just, just go right back at it. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's from life. It's from jujitsu. It's from really anything that you do in, 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 in your career, anything that you have to do in your life is completely overcome a bull in, in, the, in the sense of like, all you have to do is just try again. Right. Yeah. And, and a lot of people don't, don't see that, get that. Um, but that, then there's the other half of the people that are just like, Hey, fuck it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try and we're going to see what happens. But yeah. that's, that's so important that, that we, that we're able to touch on that. And it's, you're able to see it work, not only in, you know, your career aspect, but your military aspect, your, you know, whatever you, whatever you have to do. It's the mental aspect, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I always go back and talk about that lady. It's been a while now, but you know, I was leaving, I was pulling away from the stop sign and she was trying to go and I was trying to go. We didn't almost hit each other. There was nothing close, but you know, she was literally like flicking me birds in the window and stuff. And I was just thinking like, man, that lady needs bigger problems. No, she needs to focus on the real <laughs> Her day was ruined based off of us both trying to go at a stop sign at the same time. Like you're focusing on the wrong things, you know, then you sit there and talk about somebody like I got a hard push between now and the end of the year, but there's not a chance I might die. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like going through uh, selection, like beating your body down, what injuries may you like, that's not going to happen to me between now and the end of the year, you know? So like, why well, should I be so small minded in my thinking? Yeah, I think a lot of this goes, you know, the theme is uh, one of the quotes you had maybe last week or the week before you're saying a man is either a master of his mind or, or it's slaves. Yes. That, that applies to everything you do in life, whether it's emotional health, spiritual health, you know, challenges you face at work and life and relationships. If you are not a master of your mind, it, you will be a slave. And like I said, selection is a great example. Like you said, if you don't want it bad enough, it will show. You you will quit. You'll find a way to be quote unquote injured. Um, you'll find a way to go home. Yeah. And sometimes in life, there's there's not an option for that. And sometimes that is the most liberating thing is for to remove all choice and say that I have to do this. You mm-hmm. you take yourself to another level, and. Uh, that's when it becomes about survival and it separates us from, from, I don't want to say weaker people, but from less adapt people to survive, adapt people to survive. So yeah, yeah, man, I, I could, uh, another great one just in, in the lines of what you're talking about, you know, we do face challenges in life and for anybody that's listening, I know a lot of 
no one knows me. I'm, I'm, I'm not a very important person, but I would tell you my life is not all success stories. And James can attest to this. You know, we've, we've endured some battles that we did not win. You know, not all of them were victories. So, um, hold on just a second, guys. They were not all victories. They were very hard fought battles. And some of them were defeats that took time to overcome and, and they weren't pretty. You know, I, I faced some pretty huge setbacks in life, financially, relationship wise. But uh, I'm going to quote Denzel Washington because he's just an OG. <laughs> you, know, you get knocked down seven times, you get up eight. And, you know, that's. Uh, that's something you got to take to heart. You got to live your life that way or, or you just stay down and yeah, that ain't me. Yeah. To that. And I know we're running out of time. We got a hard stop at nine. Um, we'll tell them if you're, if you're good with it, you we saying all this, tell them what puts you back on the journey to go to selection and to get into the special forces. All right. So I'll, I'll start with what, put me off the journey and then I can wrap it up for you. So I, like I said earlier, I got out of the army in 2013. Um, I was going through losing a marriage. It was not because of the army. It was because I was not prepared to be a husband. And uh, so I was going through a divorce. I had been mobilized three times in four years, had some injuries, pretty banged up, got disillusioned with the process and with the army. And, um, pretty disgruntled and and I had some issues from our time in Afghanistan I had not dealt with so it was you know between that and really just a disconnect with leadership and the army and the direction we're going I chose to step away at that time you know 2013 I was getting out 2012 my younger brother uh, we're 13 months apart he he joined the army as Dustin Wright he joined the army with a special forces contract and smoked it went through every phase of training from basic airborne selection all the way through the Q course as a special forces engineer sergeant, not a single recycle, not a delay in training. I mean, the dude just crushed it, right? Served uh, three years in special forces and October, 2017, he was deployed to Niger, Africa. He was a member of a special forces team there and um, his, his team was ambushed, and in that ambush, my brother lost his life defending one of his fallen brothers. Um, it was a, a tragedy, but through that tragedy, it put my life in perspective. I got to see a man who lived on mission and was born for the moment that he stood in and had shaped his entire life to be there. Uh, he gave his life to serve a mission and to to try to save a friend knowing it would it would be his death um and it's a it's a very complex situation but without going into too much detail it 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 awakened me in a way that i had not ever been awakened it it challenged me to truly live my life not go through the motions not be selfish it put it challenged me to truly serve others because this is this is my baby brother he's almost he's my best friend he's a, he's the other half of my soul and i just i mean i saw through video and 
all kinds of stuff. I saw him make a choice to lay down his life for another man. And it, when some someone that close to you lays down that gauntlet, and they, they throw out that challenge, and it wasn't in a, a – it was just him being him. It made me evaluate everything in my life and say, where am I supposed to serve? How am I supposed to give my life for my fellow man? And the answer for me was I was – and I've said this before. I was born for the storm, and the calm does not suit me. That's Andrew Jackson. My answer for that was finishing a journey I started 14 years before and becoming a Green Beret. And that brought me full circle in life over the next three years from October 2017 to late September 2020. It took me three years to complete the journey of getting selected uh, for myself, for my wife, my family, for my brother's memory and to serve our fellow brothers in arms that are going into harm's way and to hopefully be an asset to help save American lives. That's amazing. <clears throat> Absolutely amazing, man. Um, you know, one of the things, cause I re, I re, you know, remember all this happening, you know, there was, you know, disbelief, anger, right all the stages of, of, of grief with that. And, you know, one of my biggest takeaways from it was the fact that you were like, if there's things that can make it better, you know, you weren't trying to backseat drive anything, but you were, you, the things you told me where you're like, this is where there was failures. Right. And when things happen, there's always failures. Right. And you were talking about, instead of just sitting back there and complaining, you took action you set yourself on a mission and said, if things can be better, then I want to help make them better. I want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And it, it uh, man, I've respected you since day one, but that was the thing that just blew me away about you and your resolve. And the, what, what you're talking about, you growing on your journey was that you were like, I'm going to work to be part of the solution, not sit over here and just complain about, the problems, uh, that, that plague things. And you're working to deliver on that. And I mean, we can all take so much from that of, Hey, when things aren't going wrong, right. Um, which is in no way a comparison to, to what you or your brother have, have been through, but you know, like, what are you doing about it? What are you doing to try to make it a better work better for the future for yourself and those around yeah. you? Absolutely. I, I I like to say this, you know, obviously my faith is very important to me. I, I tell people, you know, it's easy, it's easy to praise God when the sun's shining, but you're going to be known by how you struggle. So in those yeah. times of struggle, you know, who are you? What do you represent? How do you represent your values and what's important to you? And, uh, and you're right. You know, in our country, we, we have become complacent. We've been, you know, taking a back seat and we oftentimes, you know, complain, but don't take action. We we're stuck in our own little world and you have to get out. You have to engage and, and really care for your fellow man. And losing my brother transformed my life in a lot of ways. And you know, we started a foundation to serve veterans in his honor. And so we have a nonprofit that we, we serve homeless veterans and veterans transitioning out of the military. 
Obviously, I reshaped my life. I walked away from a successful business to rejoin the military. And my wife and I have been living apart for almost a year now in, through that journey. And this is, it, it, it's scary, but to be in a place where you know you're on the mission you were born for is liberating. And it, it puts everything in perspective. I mean, it, it will challenge you. You know, I, I tell people, you've got to find that thing in your life. And it's not, you know, my identity isn't wrapped up in the military. It's not wrapped up in a uniform. My identity is rooted in Christ, but it took me going through my personal version of hell to get there. And, you know, hopefully my story and our, my journey and my brother's sacrifice can inspire others to, to step up in life and to live a full life and and for me that's through service so i just well i think that's the thing we always try to circumvent the 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 struggle but you know you're like you said i mean life's a struggle and i mean it's how you you go through that i mean that's what's going to make it worth living absolutely man heavy shit today guys um we won't be respectful of will's time and um i know you said you got a hey, horse up no i'm i'm an hour like i said i'm an hour behind you guys i'm gonna sit in the parking lot oh you as long as man you i was like yeah. dude we could go on for another hour here hey so tell yeah. everybody yeah tell everybody the um what's the name of the foundation it is the staff sergeant dustin michael wright foundation uh, you can find this on instagram facebook uh, you can Google our website or just Google the name and it'll come up with a website. Um, again, we're, we're primarily focused in Georgia, South Carolina, and North Carolina. It's just where a lot of our relationships are. And we've established connections with the Georgia Department of Veteran Affairs, the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs, the local coalition for vet- veteran homelessness in, in the Golden Isles, which is down in Brunswick, Savannah, St. Simons area. Um, so we raise funds to support veterans transitioning out of the military through education, networking, and, uh, to fight veteran homelessness in the Golden Isles area, basically providing temporary housing through various partners and, uh, employment workshops to do resume writing, networking, uh, financial education, and help veterans find jobs. Uh, so that that's kind of our that's our short term goal. Long term goal is to be a part of a veterans village in North Carolina, um, to provide an area where like minded people, veterans can all come together to work in a collaboration to end homelessness and focus on physical and mental health. That's awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. I do want to, uh, I guess, ask a question. So, how is that being run since um, since currently you're away? So my mother is our COO. I'm the CEO and president. So she she does some of the day-to-day stuff. She works hand-in-hand with our partners. She works hand-in-hand with our partners and uh, is basically taking the reins in that area. We're kind of set up as a – I use this as an example. Like the VA – or excuse me, the VFW has local chapters, right? Yeah. That's our, our concept. So she runs the Golden Isles area. Um, I'm part of a, a network in 
the Fort Campbell area and I have friends and, and family in North Carolina and South Carolina that are, that are working, um, that are, uh, running local chapter type setup. So it, it really, it frees up our team to focus on what they need in their area. So instead of, you know, dictating top down, our, our partners that are in their local communities with local veterans that they know, they love, they serve, they're telling us from bottom up what they need. And we as a team go out and get those resources and bring it back. Cool. Um, <clears throat> so as we, <clears throat> I guess, move forward, but um, we, uh, as a company, we used to uh, donate to this foundation that's called tiny homes for veterans and they basically build yep um they basically build like tiny homes for veterans that, that are homeless and give them a place to stay um so that was something that we were trying to get them into georgia but i think um i think this would be a good route for us as a company uh as as the corbin team um to be able to donate to as 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 we move forward um because we've run into some hurdles with them. Uh, so I, I would like to definitely get your information, go ahead and, and move forward and see how we can help, um, whether that be, you know, financially or whatever. Um, definitely like the story. Uh, I, I like everything that, that, that you guys are standing for. So um, you definitely got us. Well, that's awesome. We, we appreciate the support. And like I tell people, yeah, we're, uh, we're on mission. You know, this is very, very personal for us, obviously. That's, that's easy to see. And, you know, it may sound, I don't know if it's, it's pompous or, or whatever, but we, we are of the opinion that we will do this right or we will not do it at all because my brother's name and legacy is tied to our actions. So for me, that is, uh, that is our charge. You know, we, we're, we're on mission and, and I'm very proud of what we're doing. I'm proud of the partners we have and, and being able to see the change in veterans lives around us. So, you know, I've, that's my passion, man. I, I love it. You know, I mean, <clears throat> that's the thing. I mean, like there, there is, you know, you talk about the support back home, you know, that was a pretty, I think that was one of the things that helped me tremendously, no matter where I was at was, man, I had such a great support system back home. There was always a letter. There was always someone I could call, you know, there was always someone I could chat to when I could, you know, that was thinking of me that was, you know, wanting to hear from me. And, um, man, you, you would be surprised. There was guys that, that got no letters. If, if they were calling, checking with somebody back home, man, it might be, you know, somebody just asking to borrow money that they can't spend because they're over there making it tax free. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Guys it, going through divorces, guys, yeah. you know, going through foreclosure. Like, like you said, it's great to hear there. You know, you had a, you had a good connection, a good base, a good uh, network and, and foundation behind you. Sadly, that's probably the minority of situations where a lot of guys find themselves in war they, they're finding themselves, you know, they're, they're losing a part of themselves and there's not, not that network, that foundation behind them. And it, you know, if you think war is tough, try fighting a war alone without loved ones behind you. That that's even, that's even scary. Yeah. I mean, you, and then, I mean, I couldn't imagine like, you know, I came home 
went right back to my house, went right back to my family, everybody happy to see me, uh, went back to my job, right? And my desk and everything was sitting there waiting on me. You know, people excited to see me back. I could get right back into things. And I did. And I was able to take all that energy and stuff and just focus it right back into my work that I felt like I was making a difference with. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's tough to say because I didn't go through that. But I mean, I, I couldn't imagine coming home and then being done and everybody disperses. And I, I think that's one of the problems with the guard, you know, is that not on the guard, but just how the guard's set up. You're not there every day. So it's not like you come back to your unit and then you're back doing a full-time job in the Army and you're still seeing all your guys every day. You know, you come home and then everybody splits. And, you know, what, what, do you, what if you don't have a job? Then you're sitting there all month, you know, and or when you get out, you ETS. I mean, you know, it's just like, all right, last year, you're done. We'll see you. You know, I mean, and if you got nothing going on, man, there's a lot of room for just your mind wandering, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I'd like, I'd like to take a second to dispel a lot of common misconception about the national guard. Um, you know, James and I, obviously we served together. We are members of the Georgia national guard. We served in an infantry brigade combat team in the Georgia national guard. We deployed to Afghanistan and we're battle space owners for the RC North, the Northern region of Afghanistan in the Georgia National Guard. Throughout the war on terror, the majority of the last 20 years, Guard and Reserve forces have made up over half of all troops deployed at any given time. So that is a huge transformation from the role the National Guard played in Vietnam, where and all, for all intents and purposes, the Guard was a political tool used by the Kennedy administration to basically shelter college students, Ivy League students, members of Congress's children, politicians' children from deploying in support of the war effort. So the Guard, the guard got a bad rap from Vietnam, but our battalion that we served with in, in Afghanistan was a, was a major factor in every single engagement from the war of 1812 to Afghanistan, other than Vietnam. Uh, little known fact, the, the Ford observer company of the 121st infantry regiment was in Germany the day after D day and destroyed a German tank battalion by itself. Uh, 700 men, gave their lives defending the beachhead in Germany or in, in Normandy against a German tank battalion and less than 300 made it off the hill. So that is the legacy the Georgia National Guard shares with its active duty partners. Unfortunately, the, the resources and the support for the Guard are not the same, you know, whether it's education benefits, healthcare benefits, uh, mental health benefits, they're, they're not there. And to James's point, we came home, and two days later, you know, we demoed out of Fort Stewart, meaning we returned from Afghanistan to Fort Stewart. And within, let's just say, less than a week, we were from Afghanistan at war to back in our homes and didn't see a single soldier member for 90 days. You know, you, you created a vacuum where, where dudes are, you know, going from very high-stress 
high anxiety, high kinetic environments back to their families with no, no continuity of support. And it, it showed through the national guard and reserve soldiers, how they process war. Um, it's, it's not the same. The resources for active duty are vastly different. You come home, you, you know, have a week, two, three weeks of leave, but you're in the town where you work. All your army buddies are there with you. Everyone who shared those experiences is here. You live in a barracks. If you're lower enlisted, you know, you're seeing everybody. So it's, it's a vastly different support network. And, and I, it's, it hasn't really changed much. Um, yeah. So it's without having something like James had, you know, without having that community come back to, um, you know, I, I lived in an area that was not a high concentration of military people, uh, veterans, and I was a young veteran. And the last set of veterans was really from Vietnam. Not that many people served during the Cold, uh, during the Gulf War uh, in in relation to Vietnam or the War on Terror. So it was, it was very isolating and really, you know, in my personal situation, within 90 days, I'd been picked up by another unit. I never went back to my old unit that with the guys that I served with, I went to a, a new unit and had been told I was deploying again um, within 90 days of being home. So it's, you know, it was a recipe for disaster for me personally. And it played out over the next two to three years. Um Pretty, pretty rough. And then the, the three to four years after that, it took me to kind of figure out life again. Um, you know, we lost a lot of good dudes, not, not from war, but from the struggles of coming home. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't like to say, you know, I don't like to talk PTSD because me personally, I think we've been sold a victim mentality. You know, veterans now, you know, for, for a while, we're identified as victims of PTSD or they're suffering from PTSD, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, while, while that may be true, you know, people go through traumatic events. We are not victims of that. We're warriors and we have some things we need to work through, but I'm not a victim. You know, I, I made a choice to serve and yes, I, I endured some hardships, but I'm not a victim. Yeah. You know, we are not victims. We are warriors. Uh, so I don't, I don't like the way that's been portrayed, but we do need resources to rehabilitate and to come out stronger. Um, but yeah, definitely not selling the victim narrative. Yeah. You know, I, I think like, you know, I mean, I can remember very clearly when I came home and I was supposed to take, I don't know, I was taking two weeks off that was actually the toughest part of the whole, that whole phase of my life coming back home. And Danny was like, Oh, you know, we're going to have two weeks together. She took off, right? She took off work two weeks together. We can go do everything. You know what I did? I, my mind would not settle down. It was like separation anxiety. You know, it wasn't, wasn't PTSD, right? I mean, it was like separation anxiety. I didn't know what to do with myself. All I wanted to do is go work to go do something. I literally like cleaned my property, <laughs> like cutting down trees and like some outbuildings. Like I had a dumpster come in. I just went hard every day, 
every day until I was exhausted. And then I would come inside exhausted and eat, like go to sleep. And that's all I did for, yeah. for two I mean, weeks. It's resetting that, that mental space. You go from such a high op tempo, yeah. everything matters. Everything is mission focused. You know, you've got a purpose, you wake up. You know, I don't, this, I know it sounds crazy. You, you may have some listeners that aren't veterans, but combat is the most exhilarating yet terrifying thing you'll ever do. It, it is amazing. It is, it, it will awaken things in you you never knew you had, and it will leave a mark on you that you may never get rid of. But, you know, it, it's hard to explain. It is one of the greatest and worst experiences of your life. Yeah. Uh, and then you come home from that. And then two weeks later, you're selling insurance and doing carpool. And, you know, it's yeah. like it never happened. You know, <laughs> So that's how we treat it. But then the, in the background, there's a there's an adjustment period. And uh, without the right resources, it can be painful. Yeah. Um, I, my, my transition coming home within within, I think, three or four weeks, I took my brother Dustin and my army brother TJ who served with us in Afghanistan we uh, jumped in a rental car drove to Virginia bought a sailboat um I'd never touched the sailboat never actually like been <laughs> on a sailboat didn't know how to sail um bought a 27 foot sailboat and in Norfolk Virginia and I had a, a hippie named Sticks living on the boat with his wife and his dog teach me how to sail in the, the harbor up there while I moved him off of the, that boat into a new boat that he was buying. Uh, two hours later, me and my two best friends were in a boat making a 750-mile journey down the intracoastal waterway to St. Simons Island, Georgia. Uh, so to say I probably was out on a limb is an understatement. <laughs> Yeah, no question. So, h- how do you how do you fix this, right? So, h- how do you how do you fix the the coming back home? How do you fix that? Like, what is? Well, go ahead. I think uh, the the common answer is well, we have programs for that, right? You know, we have the government has programs, and I, I can tell you this: I'm not I'm not knocking that. I'm not saying that's untrue. I will give you an example of how these programs are ran um, and then I'll provide a solution. So I'm not going to be just a negative guy. I'm going to give you an answer in Georgia for the Georgia national guard. We have a yellow ribbon program that basically is the reintegration of soldiers after deployment uh, for our state. The Georgia national guard is one of like the top five or six largest military elements in the country. We're a full combat brigade with three battalions, which means there's several thousand soldiers. Uh, That's just the infantry brigade. There are other elements. But for the Georgia National Guard, the Yellow Ribbon Program is ran by two contracted civilians who have a parent company in Virginia. So two contracted civilians are the liaison for the Georgia Yellow Ribbon Program for the entire Georgia National Guard to share those resources with soldiers and to facilitate their transition. Now, I'm not a mathematician, but to think that two people can coordinate resources for 5,000 soldiers is a bit on the, the naive side. So there is a program, there are resources, but access to those resources in a timely manner 
when soldiers are going through crisis is a problem. And some of that is understandable, but it doesn't mean it's the right answer. There is, it's a government program. So there's a process. There's a, you know, there's an application, there's a review, there's, you know, there's a process. In the meantime, that soldier is the one waiting in that process. So for me, the answer is what we're doing as a family. The answer is us as a community reintegrating our veterans into society. You know, not, not what's happened over the last 15 years, telling veterans you're a victim, shutting down their experiences and saying, just don't talk about it. Nobody wants to hear it. Nobody understands it. It's scary. That war stuff, you got to just talk to your army buddies about it. Don't bring it out here. I am of the opinion that veterans should not live in a vacuum. You know, those resources, yeah, they are provided by certain government agencies, but the, the true resource is community, is fellowship. And us as veterans, we have to awaken to that. We have to take charge of our futures and our community and be involved, not just in our veteran community, but in our actual physical geographic communities and step up. You know, we've been silent. We're not taking care of each other. That's on us. And you know, we, we are better than that. Yeah. So everything we're doing as a foundation is not just, you know, we're not just putting a Band-Aid on a bullet hole. I'm empowering a veteran to step up and go serve his fellow man. And I expect that. You know, I, we tell people, look, I'm not just doing this so you can have a better life. I'm doing this so you can go serve your brothers and sisters who need you. And then step up in your community, step up in your family, step up in your church, be a leader because you've been trained to be a leader. You're a warrior, not a victim. And then organizations like ours expedite those resources in order to empower our warriors to lead. To me, that's the answer. It's not, I'm, I'm not looking to put a, a bandaid on a bullet hole and get you through a crisis. I'm looking to challenge you because you are capable. You are the warrior who, who went to battle. You came home. Nothing changed. You're, you're that same warrior. The battlefield is the only thing that's different. Now you're fighting here. You're fighting for your life just as hard here as you are there. You might not have the same weapons and you might feel ill-equipped, but there are resources and it is on us to serve each other to step up and lead. So for me, that's the answer. Yeah. I mean, adding to that, I mean, when, when, when you're, you know, not just deployed, but just in, in general, I mean, like the mission is very clear, right? Your purpose is very clear. And then you come back. I agree. You're not a victim. Like I think the tools that need to be provided are mentally like, Hey, this you're resourceful. You, you're, you're not a victim. You, uh, I mean, there's definitely people who need, um, additional help but like you are capable of overcoming you just gotta you just gotta know what your mission is now you know and making that clear to people um uh, you know returning veterans is is huge because then you come out and then you don't know you're supposed to you know it's like okay nobody's telling me the mission but i mean your whole military thing is about making you resourceful right i mean from i mean everything i mean how you care for your gear I mean, I mean, hell, we had sewing kits so we could mend our own clothes. I mean, things like, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like you were self-sufficient. You relied on each other, but it was amazing how self-sufficient you were and how much attention to detail you had. But there was structure around that. Now you got to create your own structure 
around yourself. And that's the tools that need to be taught. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I do. And I think, um, to your point, you know, we're supposed to be self-reliant team players. Then you come out of the uniform back into society and, and our society as a whole is very individualistic. There's not a lot of team players. There's not a lot of people who actually do life together. You know, you go from yeah. a team environment, like our experience in Afghanistan, there's 15 guys living in a 400 square foot tent. If that, it's probably 20 by, yeah, maybe 400 square feet. Yeah. Uh, so you got, you got 15 dudes living on top of each other, fighting together, you know, good and bad, literally fighting like this fighting, you know, loving each other, hating <laughs> each other, eating together, sleeping together, you know, doing war together, like on top of each other all day. And then you, you remove yourself from that and you come home and like, you may not talk to a single person all day. You haven't hugged a single person. You haven't sweated with a single person, bled with a person in months. It's isolating. And, and the thing right behind that is, well, you still have those same brothers, but we're not in community together with people that understand us. Why would we be in community with uh, you know, normal people that have no clue about our struggles? We've got to bridge that gap. You know, that's where you know, we, we remove ourselves from it. Like, all right, we tell ourselves, that's over now. Um, that part of me is done. And then you're like, well, there's a vacuum. Now what am I? What is my identity now? I think what people lose is you're the same person. You know, being a warrior is not about having a uniform on. Being a warrior is the fire that burns in your heart. And you just need to find the mission that is after the uniform. After the war is over, the warrior doesn't die. You're still a warrior. You just choose a new battle. And, you know, whether that's building a business, loving and serving a family, serving your community, you know, being a, getting involved in politics, whatever it is, you still have a mission. You may need time to find it, but we isolate ourselves and try to do that in a vacuum. Then we lose all sense of community. And from there, bad things happen. Yeah. You know, a lot of times we, we hide ourselves to, to hide our shame, to hide our guilt, to hide, you know, our struggles with alcohol, depression, addiction, because we're not dealing with things well and we're trying to do it alone. Because, hey, look, I expect a lot, you know, from James Chapman. He, like, I expect him to be an amazing dude and perform well in life. And if he doesn't, he's got a guy that he's going to be accountable to. And he, there may be some shame there. So, well, the answer is either do well or hide that you're not doing well. And we have guys on our team that have ended up on both sides of that, you know. And, and the benefit is we've, we've held each other accountable in a positive way and challenge each other to be those, those leaders challenge each other to succeed and, you know, and love each other through some of those struggles. I mean, I 100% agree to that. I mean, there's, there's been guys that have, like I said, we have that chat group and you know, they say they're struggling with something. We are there for them, but let me tell you, it's, it's tough love. Like if they act like they're just rolling over, we call them on it. Don't we? I mean, yeah, you, know, you got to step up, man. I mean, what are you going to do? Give up? You can't give up. I mean, what well, is that? And for? I look at it you know? this way, like you, you, you know, remove the, the military piece from it. You know, our society in, in general is more isolated now. And we have the ability to connect with people on the opposite side of the planet within seconds. Yeah. And we, uh, we're not living in community. 
and I'm look, I'm not a hippie. I don't live in a commune. I'm not telling you to sit around the fire and make bracelets and necklaces out of flowers, but we are a tribal people. You know, Sebastian Younger wrote a great article and, and did studies on the military uh, and veterans in combat. And, and what his takeaway, his book's called uh, Tribe, and I, I suggest it. it's a great book. It'll help not just veterans understand themselves, but society understand us and kind of look at a picture of how we're supposed to be, in my opinion. Uh, we're tribal by nature. You know, we form tribes, not just, you know, not like a Native American, American Indian tribe, but that is a great example. Um, I think it was, I want to say Benjamin Franklin made an observation that, that rarely did Indians, Native Americans, join uh, European American society um, at the rate that Americans or colonists would join the Native American society. And the difference was the tribal lifestyle. It, it is a natural draw for people. You are in community. You live together and share life together. Uh, rarely did Native Americans leave that tribe to be a part of our Western society. In fact, it was in reverse. We went from, you know, colonists would go from a somewhat developed society into a more tribal situation because they, they were drawn to it. Uh, we are programmed to live in community together but everything we've done as a modern society has set up walls. You know, we, we don't, we want to live where we can't see our neighbors. We don't actually, we don't know our neighbors. You know, we don't talk to them. You know, rarely are you going to have a block party and, you know, do life together. You're not, you, you go to church. If, if that's your thing, you go to church, you see somebody on Sunday, you don't see them the rest of the week. You know, we, we don't have those ties that bind us and we can literally pick up the phone and call China and, in three seconds, we can we can connect with anyone in the world, and we don't know our neighbors. So we're the most isolated we've ever been, and it's contrary to our biological programming. And that's why like, we're the most developed country in the world, have the highest rates of depression. We we're not in community together. We feel more isolated than ever. And for veterans that rings especially true because our set of experiences are unique and we're in America less than 1% of the population. It's pretty hard to find community when you're scattered to the four winds and you're not re-engaging in normal society because you feel different. So that, that's something we have to do better on. You know, to that, it, I mean, it makes me think this podcast is always focused on business and betterment like talking about that i mean you know that that is so true i mean when when you're on a team you know you're you're somebody's constantly depending on you and you know it it's obvious i mean constantly obvious i mean you're cross-loading gear whatever right when's the last time that you at your business okay speaking to everybody here when's the last time you walked over and told somebody how much you depend on them and how much you appreciate them that you they're always there and take care of stuff like you know and remind them how key of a part they are to your operation you know um that stuff's huge i mean uh, i don't do it perfect but i will tell you anytime there's a way to give somebody some motivation in my company about 
an accomplishment or something they did that just knocked it out of the park. I mean, I, I huddle everybody up. I mean, I, I had somebody, everybody in the office knowing she was getting promoted, but November 1st was her promotion date. So, you know, we walked in here on November 2nd. I made everybody gather up. Man, I talked about how great she was and how much we depended on her and how proud we are of her for, uh, you know, obtaining that, that um, new promotion to that new position as an account manager. Man, loved on her. You know what I'm saying? Like, people need that shit. And if you're not doing that in your company, and if you think you're only going to do it through pay, you're wrong. You know, people need to hear that stuff. They need you to affirm it with others. Yeah. Uh, just like you know, you need it when, you know, if you own your own company, you know, it always feels good to know that you're getting it somewhere and people are appreciative of it, right? So don't yeah. forget that stuff. There's there's a few things. Yeah, I can. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So there's I'll, a... I'll, make, I'll make that same connection, you know. I've uh, I've owned my own businesses. I've invested in real estate. I've you know I've done several things in my time away from the army. And I I tell you the the time where I, maybe maybe the numbers weren't the best. You know maybe it wasn't the home runs I was looking for. But the time I felt the most accomplished and I enjoyed what I was doing is when I had a team that felt appreciated that we were on the same mission and we did life together. You know, no man goes to war by himself, and he does, he's going to fail. With the right team, anything is possible. I believe that. With the right people, anything is possible. And you invest in teams, not products. You invest in the right team, not the, the idea. Because if you got the right team, you'll fix whatever challenges are in front of you. Uh, and that's that goes for any business. You know, I'm, I'm moving forward into real estate investing while I'm, while I'm in the military. And the first thing I'm doing is looking for the team to put together because, you know, I've done it by myself. I've, I've done business by myself and it's not fun. It's basically, it's just about me and I'm done with that part of my life. So, yeah. I know a good team. You know, there you go. <laughs> um, but no, on, on, on a serious note, there's a few things I want to push my knuckle into. Um, when you, right. when you said join politics, all I heard, was war pigs playing in the background. <laughs> um, but no, that's all of these things that, that, you, that you guys touched on was, you know, it's important to be self, self-sufficient. Um, and I think as an American people, that's, that's what you deserve. Um, or that's what you owe America, right? And that, that's what you owe to the people next to you. That's what you owe, period. Your neighbors, your family, you owe to be self-reliant. You owe to be the best person you can possibly be. And you also owe the, the people next to you love. Like, you, like that at the end of the day is if, if you can do those things, you are being American. If you have integrity, it's, it's, it's everything. So, I mean, everything that you guys have touched on, um, it's, it's important for everybody to be able to take that into consideration and say, what are you doing to A, be better? What are you doing to be self-sufficient? And how will you love your neighbor and the people next to you? Treat people. Yeah, I think, uh, I think you said it a few weeks ago, Addison, is if you're not growing, you're dying. That's right. That's probably true. So, uh, you know, maybe. So I'm, 
I'm going to have to start taking notes with you guys because there's little nuggets here and there I pull out. Most of it's fluff, but you guys say some good stuff. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You, you, <laughs> hey, truer words have never been spoken, all right? So, hey, let's tie, let's tie a bow on this. We've covered a lot of great stuff. You know, so we've covered a lot of things. Number one, great organizations out there, if you're a veteran, to support you. But you, you do need some self-reliance. You need to look for those things. Get yourself some purpose, all right? There's people who want to help you. And then, hey, not just veterans. If, if you're feeling isolated, get unisolated. Talk to somebody. Reach out. Like, there's certain things you can do that where people can help, all right? For my, for my people in business out here, my managers, um, you know, hey, you don't have to be a manager or you just be a peer in the company, uh, owner of the company. Good action item. Think about some stuff you appreciate from your people. Then go look them in the fucking face and tell them how much you appreciate from them on that. Take action on it. You're not going to get anywhere without action. And if you're the person double flicking off people in their pickup truck at the stop sign, focus on bigger problems. Because you, you got bigger problems than that. And don't let that kind of stuff ruin your day. All right? Take action. There's always a journey. It's about the journey. It's about the process. Like, life is a struggle. But what does it what does it make? What, what do you become through it? You know, that's the people that whoever's focusing on that and how, you know, I've, I've heard the saying that, you know, people talk about life as finding yourself, but it's, it's actually creating yourself. It, it isn't about finding yourself. It's about creating yourself. And if you focus on that, it's going to be easier than the person who's always looking at things happening to them and how it's not their fault. So like, and how it's too tough. Look at it from the aspect of that it's creating you and it will actually make life easier. You'll look for the hard spots where it galvanizes you. So I'm going in circles now. Well, man, brother, it has been awesome having you on. Like amazing. Love your story. Love your journey. Just, you know, a lot of fluff in there, as you put it. No, I'm kidding. But uh, <laughs> um, we will post the um, link to the foundation for Dustin. And um, folks, check it out. It's important. It is important. Yeah. If you have Brother, some- I, I'm Go ahead. grateful for the opportunity. Um, I'm, you know, I know, like I said, we talked about some heavy stuff, but Above all, I, I like to challenge people, motivate them. Like, hey, we we are a nation of warriors and rebels. You know, we are built for the struggle. You will be known by how you struggle. And we you know, t- times are crazy right now. Um, depending on you know, regardless of your opinions on politics and what we're doing, we as Americans are responsible for our future. We as Americans stand united. We have to come together. We need to take charge of our communities and our families, our churches, our schools, and and unite. Find the struggle that is suited for your gifts and your abilities and get to work. Let's let's reclaim the American spirit and start building those families again. Start building that community. 100%. Take pride in that. Take pride in those things. Speaking of America, we have a few housekeeping rules. Okay. All right. There's a few things that we have to say. One of those things is if you want to support this podcast, you can go to 
the grinder podcast you can write a review you can share this to a friend that's probably going to need this this is a very very good podcast um this is probably the one of the better ones that we've done even better than jp's hey whoa don't say this stuff to Will, okay? Because let me tell you, he'll get all <laughs> cocky. His shoulders will get pushed back. His head will swell up. Next time I see him, it's always going to tell me, all right? It, it, and he's going to rub it all in my face. So, so you got to pump the brakes on that, okay? And speaking of America, there's a few <laughs> things that are made in America. Or Jermaine and Jocko Fuel, everything is packaged in Amer- America. Everything's made in America. Everything's hand-sewn in America. So those jeans that you're about to buy, you may want to go to Origin Man and go pick them up because they're American. And there's nothing better than America. One, um, there's a few other products that Jocko Fuel has. Um, hypnosis is for that sleep if you need some sleep and recovery. Um, they even got some test booster. They've got that protein to build up them strong muscles. Um, and uh, a lot of other great, great stuff. So if you guys have and you're needing some stuff, you may want to pop on over there. Use the code GRIND10, and that's G-R-I-N-D-1-0. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Will. And James, do your thing. Grinder out. All right.